You know, five weeks ago, we began this message series called Mind Games. And we began with an illustration about our homes. And we said, you wouldn't just allow anybody in your home at any time. You wouldn't just let an uninvited guest in. You wouldn't let a drug dealer just walk in unannounced and come stay in your home. You wouldn't let a thief or a pedophile or someone just come to your home and live there. And yet the conviction is, many of us allow almost any uninvited guest to come and live in our brain. To come and live in our mind. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that normally just whatever drops in, I allow to stay. And so we've been spending these five weeks seeking ways of how can we begin to have actually, you know, maybe even a guest list of what comes in and doesn't come in. Because here's the truth. Your mind and my mind is like a sponge. It takes in whatever it's around. We might want to deny that I could watch this movie or I could go to this place and it's not going to have any impact on me. But the truth is your mind absorbs whatever it's around. And so if you're living in a situation where there's a lot of bitterness and your mind begins to absorb that, or maybe there's a lack of forgiveness, or maybe you've got a bunch of selfishness going on in your mind, or maybe it's lustful thoughts. And we looked at that statistic a couple weeks ago, that people who look at pornography are three times more likely to commit adultery than people who don't. Here's the truth. Whatever your mind dwells in, it absorbs. And then here's what happens, guys. Wherever you go, it just begins to drip out. I mean, it's going to come. You might think, you know, I got this hidden back in a closet. But the truth is, it is going to come out as you live. And so it's really important what we allow into our mind. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been giving you a lot of practical advice about how to control this. You might look at this here and think about five strategies to develop a guest list, all right? Look, look at these strategies with me just for a moment. Five strategies. You got those up on the screen? Five strategies. The first one we talked about was to think about what you think about. I don't know about you, but that's been an incredible exercise for me to just think about what I'm thinking about and look at, is it, is it really positive and helpful or is it negative and harmful? And then we talked about decisively rejecting those negative ungodly thoughts and replacing them with godly thoughts. And, and many of us are wearing these little rubber bands around so that when we begin to have those thoughts we don't need to have, we can pop ourselves and then we can put in place something that can change us. We've talked about taking your worry list. A lot of us have lots of anxiety. Take your worry list and make it your prayer list. Oh, don't act like they're not going on. Just don't stress out about it. Just take the moment to pray about it and hand it to God. And then we talked about you need to come up with a to-think list. Many of us come up every day with a to-do list. I'm telling you, it would be very powerful for you if you'd sit down and write down five promises of God, five people that love you, five things you're looking forward to, five blessings that you're thankful for. Write those things down and begin to think about those things. And then we really challenge you, especially last week, to begin to memorize Scripture, to replace these negative thoughts, these ungodly thoughts, these actually attacks from Satan that are absorbed in our mind with, with the Scripture and the promises of God. And so I challenge you to memorize. Now here's our goal. Here's the goal. is that you would lose your mind and develop the mind of Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to lose our mind and develop the mind of Christ. 
You know, we don't want to be like um, Igor was on Frankenstein. Remember him? He dropped the right mind. <laughs> and he ended up putting the wrong mind in Frankenstein. And the rest, as they say, is history. All right? Because we, we want to be able to lose our normal, natural, fleshly way of thinking and develop a way of thinking that reflects Christ. There was an article that made many newspapers just a few weeks ago. And here was the title of the article. It says this, Churches, The Church Doesn't Think Like Jesus. Uh, the greatest research organization in, in the Christian world is called the Barna Group. And they're always researching how Christians act and behave. And they decided this time to go somewhere different to research how Christians think. And the question they were asking is, do Christians have a biblical worldview? And they came up with like six things. Do you believe uh, that there's absolute truth? Do you believe that the Bible tells you what the truth is? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe the only way you can be saved is through grace? I mean, they came up with like six or seven principles that said, this is the way a Christian views and thinks about the world around them. And that God has placed you here to make a difference. And so they came with this very simple biblical worldview, the way, way Christians should think. And then they began to survey Christians, and here's what they found out. For people in America who, who claim to be Christians, only about 9% actually live out a biblical worldview. And what they found out is it had an incredible influence on their beliefs. If you don't hold a biblical worldview, you are 12% more likely to accept profanity. You are 11 times more likely to think adultery is okay. Now listen to this statistics. While one out of every eight adults who lack a biblical worldview, one out of every eight adults who lacked a biblical worldview had had an affair or a sexual relationship with someone outside of their marriage over the month before it. But if they had a biblical worldview, that statistic went down to one out of every 100 individuals. What's it saying? It's saying what you think and what you believe impacts the way that you live. And so, guys, our goal here is to lose our mindset and to develop the mindset of Christ. And that's exactly what's going on in the book of Philippians. Paul is addressing this church. Overall, it's a wonderful church. But it seems that there's a problem of unity, and the problem is the way they're treating each other. And so Paul begins to address this. If you have your Bible, you might open to Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Let's just stop there just for a second. Can, can you imagine? Paul says that the key to us having unity and loving each other the way we ought to is that I learned to look at you as more important than me. Now, anybody think that's natural? It's natural for all of us to look at ourselves as the most important person around, right? That's just, that's just natural as breathing. And Paul says that's the answer. Well, how do you get there? Well, look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Some translations say, have the mind of Christ. Uh, some modern translations say, you need to think 
like Jesus Christ, have the attitude of Christ. So here's the answer. The answer is we got to let Jesus into our mind. And we've got to start to, to figure out how does Jesus think and, and therefore how should I think, all right? You know, we talked about in that first lesson that, that often what we clean up is what people can see. If you haven't cut me over, you clean the living room up, but you may stuff your closet full of everything else. Because we watch what people see. In in our mind, guys, many of us have stuffed some closets with some attitudes and some mindsets that aren't godly. And and it's dripping out of us. I mean, the the bitterness is evident. When someone needs to say a positive word, you don't have a positive word because you're so soaked in negativity. And and so what we've got to do, guys, is we've got to let Jesus in. And we've got to let him permeate every corner of our brain. We've got to open the door to that closet door in the back of our mind. We've covered up from everybody else. And we've got to let Jesus come in. That's what Paul does in Philippians 2. He then goes and explains to us what the mind of Christ looks like. I mean, it's almost like Paul invites us to see a brain scan of Jesus. In some of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. Let's go back to verse 5 and then let's read through verse 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here he is. He exists as God. He's a part of the Godhead. The literal translation here is he didn't think those things were worth grasping, holding on to. He lets go of those. He doesn't use that for his advantage. Go to the next verse. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and made himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look what happens. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful mind. What a beautiful mind. What's it look like? What, what, what kind of mindset are we trying to host? Let me, let me just comment on some of the things we found in this passage, all right? First of all, we see that Jesus was humble. He had humility. Now, guys, understand he's God, and yet he's got humility. In all of ancient literature... No one had ever before Jesus put the word humble and the word God in the same sentence. You would not have done that. And yet he's God. And yet he's humble. He's a humble God. It's like a, you know, we talk about oxymorons, you know. You know, um, talk about jumbo shrimp. Well, those two words don't really go together, do they? We talk about uh, military intelligence. Sometimes maybe that doesn't go together. Or maybe today we talk about government action and those things don't happen, right? 
We're talking about here a humble God. Now understand, he's God. He's secure in this. To live the kind of lifestyle Jesus is living here, a servant lifestyle, you've got to know who you are. A young man here in our church who's in the business world was invited not too long ago to the University of Alabama to teach a class about servant leadership. And one Wednesday I went with him uh, to Tuscaloosa, and he had a panel of people and he asked me to be on the panel about what servant leadership looked like in, in religion. And he had people in business and other places. And it was a great panel. And it was the, some of the brightest students at the university. And, and they were trying to encourage them to become servant leaders. And the last question they ask is, what should I do in my years here in college to prepare myself to be a servant leader? I thought that was an excellent question. And, and you, know, you know, the answer I gave, and I don't... No, it was the best answer, but I see it in Jesus. Is for you to become a servant leader, first of all, you've got to be secure in who you are. What you need to do while you're here at college is you need to figure who you are. You need to figure what your belief systems are. You need to figure who you believe in and who you don't believe in. Because it's out of that belief system and what you think that you're going to live. Guys, the truth is, insecure people can't become servant leaders. They're too busy thinking about themselves. And who talked about them and didn't talk about them. And who approved of them and didn't approve of them. You'll never make it to be a servant leader. You'll never begin to live like Jesus until you find that security in Jesus Christ of who you are. You know, before Jesus washed the disciples' feet, what a humbling task. It says this, Jesus knew where he'd come from and he knew where he was going. He knew who he was. And listen to me, when you know who you are in Christ, then you can be humble. Because guys, humility is not thinking too highly of yourself. Humility is not thinking too lowly of yourself. You sometimes we think humility means I go around putting myself down all the time. No, it's not thinking too highly of yourself. It's not thinking too lowly of yourself. True humility is not thinking about yourself. That's what it is. And you find that when you've got security in Christ. And did you notice the humility of Jesus in this passage we just read? It's almost like stair steps. He exists in, in the nature of God. He's God. He decides it's not worth holding on to. He humbles himself and becomes a man. Not just any man, he becomes a servant. Not just any servant, a servant that is willing to die on a cross. He steps out of heaven down into humility on this earth. So as we look at a brain scan of Jesus, we want to have a humble mind. And then the next thing is Jesus had an obedient mind. Jesus was obedient to his father. He obeyed. We watched him a few weeks ago, didn't we? In the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is struggling as to whether to go to the cross or not. See, we, we read this stuff sometimes. We think, oh, that's Jesus. That was easy. Did you see him? Did you see him in the dirt? Did you see him pounding the fist on the dirt? Did you see the sweat drops of blood coming from his forehead? It was not easy. It was not easy. But he obeyed. He had an obedient mind. Now friends, just like humility is not something we tend to um, really look up to in our culture, we don't look at obedience very strongly, do we? 
I've performed weddings over the last few years where they asked me before the wedding, do not put in the clause, love, honor, and obey. Don't dare say that, buddy. We don't want any of that obedient business in this marriage. That's an old-fashioned, ancient thought that doesn't belong in modern times. We're not real comfortable with obedience. Some of us aren't teaching our children obedience. Many of us grew up in times where if your folks said something, you did it. If you didn't do it, you were in trouble. And our culture is going crazy because we don't really expect that any longer. My wife went to Malawi a few years ago, and she just, like all of us who've ever been there, was just absolutely amazed by the children there. They would go to a worship assembly and sit still for four hours. And after one of them, the children were sitting down front just... just completely still. And after one of them, Stephanie went up to one of the mothers and said, how in the world do you teach your children to do this? How, how did this happen? And the mother says, well, I'm not trying to be ugly, but in, in Malawi, we love our children and we teach them to obey. Listen to me, guys. To not teach your children to obey is to not love them. Obedience is a mindset that is so needed. Why? Because obedience means that I will do what I am told to do. When God tells me to do something, Jesus says, I'm going to do what my Father wanted me to do. What we tend to do is we tend to live on feelings. You know, if I feel like being obedient to God, then I'm obedient to God. But if it doesn't feel like something I should do, then I don't do it. Tell me this. Is any area of your life going to work very well based on feelings? How many days you can show up at work if you only show up at work the days you feel like it? How many of you would be out of your marriage by now if, they, if you walked out of it on the day you didn't feel like being in it? I mean, because nothing, nothing's going to work good just based on feelings. You know, if you decide whether you're coming to church or not on whether you feel like it, you're going to be in trouble. If you decide, I mean, how many of us are going to read our Bibles every day only on the days we feel like doing it? I mean, because it, it can't be based on feeling. It's no solid foundation. And that's why this mindset that Jesus had of obedience is so important. Because I've got to come to my life where I submit to a higher power. And I say, Lord, even when I don't feel like it, I obey. I do what you say to do. Because you're God and you understand. And my feelings are fickle. You know what I mean? And the Bible says you cannot trust your feelings. The Bible says that my thoughts are not his thoughts. And so what I've got to do is I've got to stay in his word, and I've got to see what his thoughts are, and I must be obedient. And then that leads us to the next point. Jesus, his brain scan, he was selfless. We see selflessness in Jesus. Paul's trying to teach the church how to think of other people as more important than themselves. He said the best way to learn that is to adopt the mind of Christ. Oh, my goodness. When Jesus goes to the cross, is he thinking about himself or thinking about us? We know the answer. How far was he willing to go? That's what this chapter says. He humbles himself. He becomes a man. He becomes a servant. He becomes obedient, even to the point of death on the most cruel, embarrassing instrument known, the cross. He was selfless. And guys, if we're going to develop the mind of Christ, then we've got to, we've got to become selfless. 
We've got to be the person who puts other people's needs above our own. Now, that's not natural. Now, why could Jesus do this? It's the last mindset here. He trusted his Father. He was trusting. Well, why do you obey somebody? Because you trust they might know better than you know. Some of our problems is we're not humble, we're arrogant. We actually think we know better than God. So instead of just listening to God's word and saying, the word of God says this, I'm going to obey it. I, I, I try to use my own human reasoning to figure out whether this is the best path or not. When God has said very clearly, this is the way you're supposed to live. Well, the issue really is trust. I, I, think, about, I think about this story that we just read. Can you imagine the trust it took? I've never thought about this till this week. Can you imagine the trust it took for Jesus to become an embryo in a teenage girl? I mean, you're existing as God, and you're going to be shrunk down to a little bitty embryo, a fetus, a baby, and to be born in this world. I mean, the trust that that's going to work? And then think about the end of his life. Can you imagine the trust it took to die? And to think he's going to live again? Have any of you ever had major surgery before you have major surgery and they're going to put you to sleep? No matter how minor the surgery is, the anesthesiologist is going to come in your room and they're going to explain to you how they're going to put you to sleep. And and here's the part I always hate, because they always say this. They always say, you know, there's a chance, a really, really slight chance, but there's always a chance when we put somebody to sleep, they will never wake up. Don't you hate to hear that? But they always say that. How about if they weren't putting you to sleep, they were putting you to death? So Jesus has to trust that he's going to die, die, and live again. That's amazing. And guys, sometimes when God tells us to do things, it's not going to make sense to us. But the, the, the mindset we got to have is, I'm going to trust you more than I trust me right now. I'm going to trust you more than I trust my feelings. Now look at that list up there. Jesus was humble, and Jesus was obedient, and he was selfless, and he was trusting. That looks pretty difficult. Because here's how, how effective Satan has been in this mind game battle. He has been so effective that he's made us think that those things are really negative. But but think with me just for a moment. What are the opposite of those things? I mean, tell me where they're going to listen. Tell me where pride leaves you. When the only person you can think about is you. Tell me where rebellion leads you. When you've decided what you think is right is better than what God thinks. Tell me where disobedience leads you. Tell me where selflessness or, or selfishness leads you. Because I'm going to tell you, you know this, you've experienced this. The most miserable days in all of our lives are the days when the only person we can think about is ourselves. Tell me where doubt leads you. Because that's not a good path. And yet somehow in this mind game, Satan's made us think, well, it's better to be proud and better to do what you want to do and better to look after number one. And the truth is none of that is healthy. And that's the reason many of us are so miserable up here is because we're so self-consumed. One psychiatrist said this, not even realizing who they were quoting. But he said this, he said, the the, the most healthy thing ever said about your mindset and how to live your life is whosoever will 
find their life will lose it. And whoever will lose their life will find it. You see, Satan has got this mind game going to us that I think if I go after and I surround myself with what I want, man, and I think selfish and I look after number one, I'm going to have a great life. The truth is you're going to have a miserable life. Jesus says you will lose your life. If you want to find a really wonderful life, it's when you let go of yourself. You lose your mind and you adopt the mind of Christ. And everything begins to change. So let me give you a final challenge in this message series. Here's our final challenge. I'd like you to start thinking, what would Jesus think? You know, years ago, many of us wore those bracelets, didn't we? They were were pretty popular. WWJD. That's pretty cool. What would Jesus do? That was a good, good idea. But I think it was an insufficient idea. Because listen to me. You can never do what Jesus did until you think like Jesus thought. We put ourselves in in an impossible situation. It's got to start with a mindset. You say, buddy, man, that's tough. That's not easy. Think about this for a second. How easy do you think this was for Jesus? I mean, let me, let me tell you. To humility and selflessness, in, in some sense, Jesus had a lot further to travel. <laughs> I mean, he's God. He's got every reason to be proud. He's perfect. He's got it completely together. And he's going to travel all the way down to die like a common criminal? Now, I don't know about you. Well, yeah, yeah I do. But I don't have near that far to travel. <laughs> Because I don't have it all together. And, and, and for me to be humble ought to be pretty easy. And me to be obedient ought to be pretty easy because the truth is, when I try to do it my way, I don't do it very well. And, and the truth is, to be selfless is absolutely the best way to live. And to trust God instead of worrying about everything that goes on is absolutely the most amazing way to live on this earth. Why? Because it's like Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth not just to teach us how to live, but even to teach us how to think. You say, well, how do you get there, buddy? How do I start thinking like Jesus? Let's go back to our sponge. Because what you've got to do, if it's what comes in that comes out, then what you've got to do is you've got to immerse yourself in Jesus Christ. You've got to be immersed into him. Some of you literally need to be immersed. It's not being immersed in this water. The Bible promises that you're immersed in Jesus. You're literally clothed and covered with him. That's the only answer for your life. And and for the rest of us, guys, what we've got to do is we've got to start putting ourselves in position where we're soaking in God's word, where we're soaking in God's promises, where we're understanding his blessing. I mean, we need to immerse ourselves. The truth is, guys, we've let all these uninvited guests in, and these uninvited guests have run our lives. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. And yet I've let bitterness come into my house. I've let anger come into my mind. I've let a lack of forgiveness come in. I've let lustful thoughts come in. And the truth is, they start running your life. How do you overcome it? You take your mind and you begin to immerse it. You begin to immerse it in God's Word. You begin to surround yourself with people that are like Jesus. I mean, can, can I ask you, do you have some spiritual friends? Do you have people that help you become like Jesus? Do you hang out with people who think like Jesus or people who don't think like Jesus? Let me ask you today, do you think at all like Jesus? 
I think this concept almost is so foreign to us. What do you do? Well, just immerse yourself in Jesus. Immerse yourself in everything you can find out. Watch Jesus in the Gospels. Look at the way he treated people. Look at the way he thought. Pay attention to him. Immerse yourself. And before long, guys, here's what you're going to do. Is you're going to start dripping Jesus. I mean, what's going to come out is what's in. And you know the moment you're going to find the most about what's in you? I'll never forget when Stephanie and I were thinking about getting married. She went to Paul Torrance for premarital counseling. We both did it individually. And, and he said to her, he said, do you really want to know what buddy's like? Watch him in a stressful situation. And you'll see what's really in him. And guys, the truth is, what's going to come out of us when we get in a stressful situation and when we're tensed and life squeezes us, that's when you're going to find out what's in you. Because that's what you let in. And how glorious that in that moment when life squeezes you, if Jesus came out. If Jesus came out. That's the mind we want. If you need to come to Jesus today, or if you realize what's been in you has been so bad that you need some prayers today, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?